The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drink, drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted of the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine. They praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. The king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is. In the days of your father, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and made known to me this interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of this matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty and because of the greatness that he gave him all peoples nations and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he Nebuchadnezzar dealt proudly he was brought down from his kingly throne 
and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was, mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was that with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you know all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood, and some which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the manner. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. A proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David and Debbie. What happens when a government tries to play God? That was the opening sentence to a recent prayer update that we received from one of the missionaries that we support. They live and serve in a country where for many, many years the government has had a strict one-child policy and has punished those who did not abide by that policy. But now they have changed course. And the government now is saying that it is the patriotic and civic duty of their citizens to have at least three children. Once again, with a series of punishments or rewards based on whether or not they follow that policy. No mention at all of the fact that God is the one who gives life and takes life, that children are a gift from the Lord. What happens when a government tries to play God? As we return to our study of Daniel this week, we find a government, a king, a kingdom that not only plays God, but has actually taken it to the next level, and they mock God. Remember, Daniel was written to God's people who were suffering in exile. They have been taken away from their land, away from their home, their families, their places of worship. They've been carried off to Babylon, and it looks and it feels like Their God has been defeated, and now they are suffering oppression under this God-mocking king and kingdom. And it's in that setting that Daniel 5 proclaims a message of comfort for God's people who live in the midst of those who mock God, for those who fear and suffer from those who would belittle their God. And the message of comfort is this. Those who lift themselves up against the Lord of heaven 
will be brought down. Those who lift themselves up against the Lord of heaven will indeed be brought down, while those who humble their hearts and honor the Most High God, and whose hand is their breath, and whose are all their ways, will be lifted up. Well, that's a mouthful. That's from Daniel chapter 5. If you want the, the short version, you could take it from James 4, our prayer of preparation. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let's remember the structure of the book of Daniel, right? Chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. They help set that portion off for us and help us see the outline that chapters 2 and 7 go together. Chapter 2, we had Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, soon we'll be in chapter 7, Lord willing. We'll see Daniel's dream. Chapter 3 and 6 go together. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. Chapter 6, Daniel is in the lion's den. And now this middle section, chapters 4 and 5 go together. Chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar. And chapter 5, his successor, Belshazzar. So in chapter 4, you remember, we had the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was brought low because of his pride. But then he was restored, and the chapter ends with him praising God, saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his ways are right, all his works are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's how chapter 4 ends. And then we pick this story up in chapter 5. In chapter 5, Belshazzar will not only be humble. But the final judgment of Almighty God will fall upon him. By the end of the day, the one who starts this big party mocking God will be dead. And his kingdom will be taken away from him and given to another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, let's start with that first part. God opposes the proud. Those who lift themselves up against the Lord of heaven will be brought down. Now chapter 5 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's father. But that doesn't mean what we think it means. In Aramaic, that word father, it could refer to his biological dad. That's how we normally think of the term father. But it could also refer to his grandpa or simply his ancestor. Or in particular, when it's used in reference to kings, it can just mean his predecessor. So someone who was before him. And that's what it means here. There are actually, I think, were five kings between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. It has been over 20 years since Nebuchadnezzar has died. And Daniel, who came, was carried off captive to Babylon as a teenager, is now probably in his 80s. It's many years later. So this, this chapter begins with this, this party. It's, it's, it's following up on chapter 4 where God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar and led him to praise him. But now, decades have passed. Years and years have passed and God's people are still suffering in exile. And not only are they suffering in exile, they are suffering oppression under this God-hating, God-mocking king and he's taken it to the next level. So the chapter begins with this feast, this party. King Belshazzar has gathered his lords, his wives, his concubines, and they're all getting drunk on wine, and the party quickly degenerates, and what is in the wicked heart of the king comes out. His hatred, his mockery of the God of Israel. 
He takes these golden vessels that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and he brings them to the party. Why? So he can mock the God of Israel. So they can fill these sacred vessels with their wine and they can drink them while offering praise not to Yahweh, but to their lifeless man-made idols. Just think how disheartening this would be for the people of God. To see their creator and their God mocked in such a way. This is highly offensive. It's the epitome of pride and arrogance. They are making a mockery of the holy God. At this party, all those who are gathered, they are disgracing the God of Israel. They are treating him with contempt. They mock the living God while they praise their lifeless gods. They are calling into question the very sovereignty and power of the God of the exiles. It's as if they spit in his face and they think they can get away with it. Beloved, it's this very kind of mockery that our Savior Jesus Christ endured willingly on our behalf. Remember when he was before Pilate and he wasn't answering Pilate's questions? And Pilate threatened our Savior. Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? Remember when the soldiers put a blindfold around his eyes and they struck him and they mocked him. Prophesy, who hit you? Remember the thieves on the cross deriding him? If you are the Savior, save yourself and us. It's the same kind of mockery Jesus endured for us. But while they mocked, while they mocked then, while they mocked at this party, the almighty holy God was near. And he was working his plan of salvation for his people. That's what happened at this party. While while Belshazzar mocked, God came near. He came near to bring judgment on the wicked, and also to bring salvation for his people. The king's gods of gold cannot see, they cannot hear, they do not know, but our God does. And beloved, our God will not be mocked. Verse 5, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the land stand and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then, listen to this description. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. This is a public gathering, a huge feast and this happens in front of all his guests. The proud, mighty king is beginning to be brought low. He has an encounter with the living God, and this proud king is terrified. God is opposing him, and it is God who is bringing him down. His knees knocked together. He is so scared that he is shaking. Not only that, his limbs gave way. Now, in the Hebrew, that literally means his loins were loosened. So not only did he fall to the ground, but it probably means what you think it means. He wet himself in front of his gathering. 
King Belshazzar has an encounter with the living God and he is terrified. And before the night is over, he will be dead. The bill is due. God's judgment falls. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Beloved, this is not the first king that God had brought down and it will not be the last. We've seen this before. We see it here. You turn to the pages of the New Testament and you open to Acts chapter 12 and you read about King Herod, another mighty proud king. And he, he puts on his royal robes and he takes a seat on his throne and his people are all gathered before him and he gives this great oration and the people are in awe and they say, the voice of a God and not of a king. And immediately, God strikes him down dead. Why? Because he did not give God the glory. And the scripture says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And you've got to love the next line. But the word of God increased and was multiplied. Those who lift themselves up against the Lord of heaven will be brought low. But those who humble themselves will be lifted up. Beloved, God's people witnessed it in the Old Testament. God's people witnessed it in the New Testament. And we, God's people, still witness it today. Our God reigns. God opposes the proud. Without exception, beloved, without exception, every knee will bow. God will bring down all the proud. There will be none left standing. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord without exception. Every tongue, either in judgment and in death or in life and in worship and in praise and in thanksgiving as we do today. Thanks be to our gracious God. This was a message of great comfort for God's people who were living in exile under King Belshazzar. And it's also a message of comfort for God's people today, those who may live in fear of or who suffer from governments or people who mock our God today. Beloved, it's happening all over the world. In some areas, it's happening in ways that cause tremendous suffering. And I know people are fearful that it is starting to happen here, even where we live, where those who have authority over us are mocking our God. And it's leading to hardship for God's people. Well, here we have a message of comfort and hope. King Belshazzar is terrified. He is terrified when his mockery of the living God turns into a visit from that very God. And so he wants to know, what is the meaning of this handwriting on the wall? And so, again, like Nebuchadnezzar, he calls together all of his wise men. And he offers them this great reward if they can just tell him what this means. But again, for the third time... In the first six chapters of Daniel, the wisdom of this world is no help at all. It's folly. They cannot understand the message from God. So why would we turn to the world for wisdom or for truth or for the way to live when God himself has given it to us in his word? It's powerfully displayed throughout Daniel. So again, who do they turn to? Daniel the servant of the living God, and he is brought in, and he is able to give the interpretation. Verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel and parson, 
This is in the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. God's judgment does indeed stand out here, but not just on the king, but the entire kingdom of Babylon. For it's not just the king, but it's the entire kingdom that is coming to an end, and it will be given to the Medes and the Persians. This is a message of great hope and comfort for God's people in exile. Their God, the Most High, ruled over Babylon. Their God would take down their oppressors. Their suffering would not last forever. Indeed, it was under the reign of the Persians that the return from exile would begin. So God's people were suffering, but that suffering would end with them back in the promised land that God had given them. Beloved, there's comfort for you, God's people, as well today. This is not just an old story for people long ago. It's a message of truth and hope and comfort for God's people today. Because you who fear from or suffer from God-hating, mocking governments or people, you need not fear. God rules over them. And God will take them down. You can trust him and you can wait on him. Just as for God's people in the Old Testament, your suffering and your oppression will not last forever. Your God, the Most High, rules and reigns over all. He is in control of, uh, of all things. Every kingdom on earth, as well as every detail of your personal life. Our God is the Most High. And those who lift themselves up against our God will be brought down. So, beloved, the destiny of the church including our local church here, the destiny of our children and our grandchildren, the destiny of Christians all over the world today, it's not in the hands of any human king, but it's in the hands of our King of Kings, our God Most High, and we know where this destiny ends. It does not end with our loved ones in Christ in the grave, It does not end with our own personal disappointments. It does not end with the enemies of God's people on the throne. Where does it end, beloved? It ends with you home in the kingdom of God, reigning with your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the one-way road that we are on. There's no other end to this destiny, but with God's people reigning forever with the risen, reigning King Jesus. Well, right now we're near the end of what for many is one of the greatest sporting events of our country, March Madness. I know some of you resonate with that and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But March Madness is this great college basketball tournament. It starts with now, I guess, 68 teams and comes down to one final champion. So near the beginning of March when they put out the brackets, everybody wants to know the seeding and who's going to be playing who. And you have this paper, you can print it out, you can fill it out, you try to pick who's going to win and Of those 68, it kind of moves towards the middle and it's going to be narrowed down. Who's going to be that one? If you you know what a bracket likes, you can picture it. Right in the center. Who's going to be the reigning champion? And lots of people fill those brackets out just for fun. And and we did one in the office this year, Colin and Molly and I. And of course, you know who won. 
Molly. Molly destroys us all. But there's this great, it's this great basketball tournament. But I was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what if the kings of all the earth had this kind of tournament? You could list whoever you wanted to, the greatest kings, the most powerful kings of all time. But what if Jesus was also in that tournament? And it, it's almost blasphemous. I almost feel blasphemous to say this, because it's not a competition at all. There's, there's no chance, there's no possibility of anyone else reigning in that center on the throne other than Jesus. It's his throne and his throne alone. So where does it end? It ends with the king of kings reigning. He wins and we win. We reign with him. Amen. God's judgment is shown here in Daniel chapter 5. Yes, it is shown on the entire kingdom of Babylon. But it's also shown on the one man the king, Belshazzar himself. God's message to this proud king is that he has been weighed in the balance and he has been found wanting. That is a harsh word. When God most high, the judge of all the earth, when he looks at this king, the king comes up short. He doesn't make the cut. He's not good enough. The king does not measure up to God's demand for righteousness and justice. And beloved, the hard truth is, neither do we. Neither do we. We may not outwardly be kings, but inwardly we exalt ourselves as if we were. We put ourselves on that throne. And we live and do as we please. We may not throw parties where we are bowing down to handcrafted idols of wood or gold or silver, but in our, in our hearts, we mock and we belittle God just as much when we believe the lies of Satan. We mock, we belittle God when we live for the passing pleasures of this world. We mock and we belittle God most high when we value the opinions of men more than the word of our creator, our king, and our savior. So we also have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. As has every person who has ever lived or ever will live except for one. No created person could ever fill that scale, could ever measure up to God's perfect standard. So what did God do? He did not send a hand to write on a wall and condemn us. He sent a son to hang on a cross and save us, beloved. What did our God do? This king has despised Daniel's God. He has demeaned Daniel's status. But Daniel is the only one who could help him. None of his wise men could help him. His only help was a cast-off Jew whose God he despised. Does that sound familiar, beloved? What did our Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he proclaims, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Paul was preaching about the only hope that is found for those who are weighed in the balance and found wanting. The only way of escape from judgment, Paul is saying, 
It is Christ who in the eyes of the world is foolishness or folly. But the only way God's help comes to people who don't measure up is through this crucified Messiah. This past Friday, at men's prayer this past Friday, we often will sing hymns as we pray and we sang the hymn, What Wondrous Love Is This? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? What a great truth. What great hope and comfort that is for us. Beloved, you were weighed in the balance and found wanting, but Jesus took your punishment on the cross. In his own body on the tree, the Lamb of God died for your sins and now he has clothed you with his righteousness. So now, as as far as you fall short of the glory of God, you're no longer placed in the balance and found wanting. You now are found righteous in Christ. Amen. We say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask... What is our response to this great news? This is the best news the world has ever heard. And if you're not perceiving it as such this morning, either I've done a poor job explaining it, or maybe you're not understanding it, we pray the Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we could see it as such. But, but what is our response to this great news? You know, it might not appear as great news at first. We can admit that. It might not appear like great news. Because, why? Because it's hard. It's hard to admit that you're a sinner. It's hard to admit that you need help. This is a blow to our, our human-created pride that's in the heart of every one of us. It's hard when God exposes our idols. When what we have been living for, what we give our lives to, turns out to be worthless. You know, last week, Seth, it was a joy and a privilege to have Seth here preaching the word of God for us. And last week he reminded us that idols always over-promise and under-deliver. It's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit you've given yourself to a lie. It may be hard, but it also presents this wonderful opportunity. The opportunity to repent and to find true salvation from our living God and Savior. The question is, will you seize it this morning? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What happened in chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar, he is proud, but he's brought low. God humbles him, but then he's lifted back up to praise God. But not in chapter 5. Belshazzar is brought low in judgment. He's dead before the night is over, and his kingdom is given to another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How you respond to this good news makes all the difference in the world. So let's consider our response. The second half of the message of this story, and don't worry, it's not as long as the first. But the second half of this message, those who humble their hearts and honor the Most High God and whose hand is their breath and whose whose are all their ways, he will lift them up. God gives grace to the humble. We saw this happen with Nebuchadnezzar. We see it happen once again and prove true with Daniel. When the king offers Daniel the rewards, Daniel says, keep them. Give them to someone else. I don't want anything from this God-hating, God-mocking king, but I'll still tell you the interpretation. And then when Daniel gives the interpretation, he does indeed receive the reward and he's lifted up once again. But what I want... 
what I really want us to see here is what Daniel says to the king even before he gives the interpretation. Daniel begins by retelling the story of Nebuchadnezzar. How the most high God is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar the greatness and the glory and the splendor and the kingdom. And how the most high God is the one who, when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up, he brought him down low. He was made like a beast until, verse 21, he knew, until Nebuchadnezzar knew, the most high rules the kingdom of men and sets over it whom he will. So Daniel retells that story and then he pronounces this judgment on King Belshazzar in verse 22. Hear it again. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Belshazzar did not humble his heart. He did not honor the God in whose hand was his very life. Instead, he gave his praise and his worship and his very life to idols which could not see, which could not hear, which did not know. And it cost him. Cost him not only his kingdom, but his very life. God had revealed to him his glory, but he refused to humble his heart. He refused to bow down and worship. And we must not miss this, beloved Daniel pronounces this judgment and he says, Belshazzar, you knew all this. You knew all this. That's the tragedy. He knew all this. He was given the opportunity to repent and he refused it. Every one of you here this morning, you are given the opportunity right now, right here today, to repent. Will you refuse it? Or will you turn to the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways. You, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart though you knew all this, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Well, what did Belshazzar know? What did he know? He knew his kingdom was temporary. He had heard about the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. He He knew that his kingdom was going to come and go. He knew the God of Israel could do what no other God could do. He had heard that Daniel was the only one who could give the interpretation. He knew this God could humble mighty kings and bring them low. He knew the Most High God ruled the kingdoms of men and set over it whom he willed. He knew this God was more powerful than any other, and yet what? He mocked. He mocked. Beloved, having revelation, having the truth, having clear, compelling evidence does not guarantee the right response, the humble response. Belshazzar knew all this and it didn't matter. He did not humble his heart. He did not honor the God in whose hand was his life. It's so sad. It's so tragic. He knew and now... Now he knows God's righteous, eternal judgment. 
What about you? What about you this morning? Will you lift yourself up against the Lord of heaven? Will you respond with pride? Or will you humble your heart? What do you know, beloved? And what will you know? You can know much more than Belshazzar knew. Even more than Daniel knew. We have fuller, clearer revelation today than they had at the time. So what do you know? Do you know that God is the Most High? Your Creator and King and Savior? Do you know that this God created you to be with Him? Do you know that your sin has separated you from this God? And do you know that you cannot atone for your sin by your own good deeds? Do you know that God sent His own Son, Jesus, in response to your need, truly man and truly God, to live the righteous life that you could not live, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sins, to rise in victory over sin and death and the devil. Do you know this, beloved? Do you know that everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus has eternal life? Do you know that this life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever? Beloved, if you know this to be true, do not mock God. And don't fear those who do. Don't fear those who do. Instead, humble your heart and honor your God. Well, how do you humble your heart? The first step in humbling your heart is repentance. It's to acknowledge your need, to acknowledge your sin, and to cast yourself on Jesus Christ. Humility begins with repentance, and then it expresses itself with gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What do you have that you did not receive? Did you notice how chapter 5 ends? Darius the Mede conquered and won the kingdom. That's not how it ends. Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Who gave it to him? God most high. What do you have that you did not receive? When we stand in God's presence, we have nothing of which to boast. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless come to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Thanks be to God, he's washed you. Humility expresses itself in great gratitude. Our very salvation itself is a gift from God. Beloved, we're no better than Belshazzar. We are no better. There's no reason why we shouldn't be dead by the end of the day, cut off from God's holy presence forever. No reason in us whatsoever. What's the difference? What's the difference between Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 and Belshazzar in chapter 5? Why is one restored and the other killed? The difference was the mercy. The sovereign mercy of God most high. And whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways. Our God most high gives the kingdom to whomever he will. And he also gives salvation to whomever he will. 
beloved God most high. The same God we read about in Daniel. The God who has done all these things, he has had mercy on us. This is the great reversal that Seth told us about last Sunday. God has taken us who were not a people. Our hearts were proud. They were lifted up against the Lord of heaven and he's had mercy on us. He's, he's taken out that proud heart and he's given us a humble heart and he's made us his people. What a great gift he's given us. So beloved, when we realize that God has done this for us, how? How can we worship lifeless idols? How can we give our praise to another? How can we believe the lies of our enemy? May we not do that. May we repent and cry out to God for help this morning that we wouldn't give our worship to worthless idols, that we wouldn't mock God, that we wouldn't fear those who do, but it would be our joy. Our joy to trust the one true God, to love him, to worship him. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so let us humble our hearts and let us honor our good and great and glorious and gracious God, our risen and ascended and reigning and coming King, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.